When I was 21 years old, something happened to me in my life that I never forgot. You could say I never quite got over it, and it has come full circle. And of course, it involves a girl. So we're going to tell that story on the podcast this week. Also, a couple of other women-oriented related stories, because it just coincidentally happened to come up that way this week. And we're going to get started right now on the podcast. Take a shower, show up on time, and don't steal anything. Here we go. Hey, a little fun fact. Uh, during that part of the podcast, I actually just hear that music in my mind and try to time it right. So I jump in at the right time when the music kind of kicks back in. I don't actually listen to it. So just a little fun fact. Not that fun, but it is a fact. How are you? It is uh, Sunday the 20th. It is uh, 9-20-2020. So um, uh, that's kind of cool. It's a beautiful day outside, but Sundays, like I've told you for me, Sundays are a work day for me. Uh, I see people that are going to like the, you know, the pumpkin festivals or the sunflower fields and getting pictures taken. And I think some other people that I know are doing some fun stuff outside. And I really, I get, I get jealous because I really don't get to because Sundays are very much a work day. I get up in the morning, um, we go online, Steve, Fallon, Jenny, and myself, and we talk about what we want to do this week. And then we have to come up with our weekend and five photos. And sometimes... We haven't done five photos that are interesting, so um, I'm going to have to mute my computer because it's chiming at me. Um, so then we'll have to go out and do something, and uh, I have to report some ideas to a radio uh, website that I report to, and then I do the podcast, and then we work on the show, and try to get some exercise in there sometimes too. So for Sundays are, I mean, listen, they're a day off, and I don't have to get up early in the morning, but they're not really a day off from doing work. When I was 21 years old, I told this story on the radio, and I told it last week on the Minnesota Goodbye, but to me, it's such a powerful story in my life that I had to tell you again. And I hope you haven't heard it yet, but if you do, then if you have, then maybe fast forward or just hear it again for any kind of... Well, there is an update. When I was 21 years old, I lived in Colorado Springs, and I got my very first morning show job in Las Vegas, Nevada, about 900 miles away, definitely a distance where you couldn't just drive back on a whim. Um, you had to like, you know, fly back or drive back for a weekend or longer. And I met this girl named Stephanie and Stephanie and I, um, kind of hung out that summer, but nothing romantic at all. But then I came back for my job interview in Las Vegas and I told Stephanie, um, who was about my age, uh, I said, I am moving to Las Vegas. And she's like, Oh, that's so sad. And then we started to make out. <laughs> <laughs> and we started to see each other for the two weeks uh, until I went to Las Vegas, and we were crazy about each other for two weeks, and all we talked about was how much I would miss her and how much she would miss me, and it wouldn't be the same, and it was so sad and hard for me to leave because I was leaving not just you know Colorado, but leaving my mom and dad and my siblings that lived there and um, my friends and, and the only place that I'd ever lived and ever known. And I was leaving, and it was very hard. I remember I was having dinner one night with some friends of mine from the station, and they were all talking about what they were going to do next week, and, oh, yeah, we should go do this, we should go do this. And I remember sitting there being very sad because I was going to be gone. And I was realizing that their life was going to go on without me. And, of course, it was, but remember, I'd never moved away before, so it was very sad, all these eye-opening things that you don't realize are going to happen when you're all excited about, I'm going to move away to a great job in another state, and it's all cool. And then you start to go, oh, well, this kind of sucks, and this kind of sucks. And 
I won't see my mom and dad very often anymore. And, um, you know, my siblings and my friends will go from every week to, uh, you know, a couple of times a year. Stephanie was my constant companion during that time. I mean, we got together as often as we could, and, and we were just crazy about each other. And uh, just to give you a little background, um, uh, she was very beautiful in that 80s sort of way with the big hair, and she had a beautiful face, and she was a funny, smart ass, and she was, you know, I thought she was rich because she was the richest girl I ever knew. She drove a Corvette, and she was from Palm Springs, California, and her dad had sent her out there and bought her a condo, and she was going to flight attendant school. So to me, she was a very exotic, beautiful, rich girl. So I go to Las Vegas, I miss her, I call her, you know, when I can afford it. Back then, long distance cost money. And uh, we would write letters and we would say, I'm going to come and s- I'm going to come see you, I said. And so I still remember it, October 19th, that was a Friday, when I was 21 years old, I flew home. And just to see Stephanie, and I remember I felt guilty because I was flying home and I didn't even tell my own freaking parents about it. Can you imagine flying a long distance and not even telling your parents or your family that you were going to be there. I felt a little bit guilty about it, but I was so excited. Remember, we were so crazy about each other. And I think I was a little crazier about her because I was lonely in Las Vegas. The story goes, I landed in Colorado Springs. We drove to her condo and we ran out of things to talk about on the way from the airport to her house. And the rest of the weekend was snowy and depressing and we didn't have anything to say. And the next day we stayed inside and we watched MTV. And uh, Sunday we went to a friend of hers birthday party and it was boring and miserable and I couldn't wait to leave. And I probably kept looking at my watch going, get me the fuck out of here. And she's probably looking at her watch going, get him the fuck out of here. Because everything that we had lost, everything that we had had, all of a sudden we lost. And I don't know what it was. Um, But we just... I think we went from being very excited about missing each other and then planning to see each other and then we realized our entire relationship was built around missing each other. And that was it. You can't build a relationship around missing each other. So I went back home. My little old heart was broken. I don't know how she felt about it, but I think that she felt very relieved about it and kind of moved on with her life. But the good thing about it was it let me get on with my life in Las Vegas and make friends and get a girlfriend out there and really just kind of like, you know, like dive in and um, and really be in the present instead of back in Colorado Springs. Uh, so we kind of stayed in touch a little bit, but not much. We lost touch after a few years. We just totally stopped. And I never knew what happened to Stephanie. God, I hope this story doesn't sound too weird and sentimental. I don't even, I don't even know if there's a lesson in here, but maybe there is. Um, and I lost track of her. And I always wondered, like, you know, you probably have somebody in your life. You wonder what happened to them, too. Well, a lot of the time, how do you find out? Well, you go on Facebook and you look them up. And even women are pretty easy to find because they usually put, if they're married, they'll put their maiden name, which seems like a really dated term. They'll put their maiden name on there along with their new current name. Well, I looked for her uh, several times on Facebook, and I never found her. There was either too many people with her name, or I just couldn't find her. And I thought, wow, who's not on Facebook? Everybody's on Facebook. My Aunt Doris is like 89 years old, and she's on Facebook. So I told a friend of mine that knew her, Mark. I said, Mark, I can't find her on Facebook. Do you have any idea? Have you ever heard from her? He's like, no. He said, honestly, I, I, I hate to say this, but I think she might have died. 
Really? Why? Well, I remember she had cancer when she was younger, and, you know, maybe she, you know, she maybe she's not around anymore. I think I heard somebody say that she had died. What? Oh, my gosh, that's so sad. And so for 10 years, 12 years, I just kind of thought this girl that I loved back in the day, uh, and I think I did love her, was was dead. And that made me sad. Whenever I thought about her, I thought, my God, that just really makes me sad, as it would with you and any of your old friends or, or you know, exes. So then, last week, out of the blue, I'm doing a Facebook Live, and she comments, Dave, it's your old friend Stephanie from Colorado Springs. I'm like, I don't know anybody named Stephanie from Colorado Springs. And I thought, who is this? This is somebody who thinks they're my friend, that maybe lives there, or what? Oh, oh, shit. Stephanie from Colorado Springs. So I click on her profile, and there she is. It's her. She's older. It was 36 years ago, but there she is, and she looks about the same. That's what I found out about people as they get older. They still look just about the same. They just look older. If you're 20 right now, when you're 55, you'll look about the same. You'll just look a little bit older. Anyway, so we started talking, and we started chatting and reminiscing, and uh, the funny thing is, I don't want... And I said this on the air. I said, 2020... Dave is not really interested romantically in 2020 Stephanie. 2020 Dave is, is, is interested in 2020 Stephanie because he was such she was such a big part of, of 21-year-old Dave's life. And I want to close that circle. I want to know what happened to her. And I want to just bring that full circle after all these years and find out what happened to that girl. So we've been chatting and talking a little bit, but then, you know, we kind of backed off a little bit because I think that, you know, neither of us wants to go down a road not that we even came close, but I think that, you know, she's married, she's got kids, she's happy. The last thing that either of us wants to do is to get into kind of a situation where it's like you start digging up old feelings. And what's funny is that as crazy as 21-year-old Dave was, um, he was a different guy. And 20-year-old Stephanie was a different girl, so... But it's interesting to find somebody. Have you ever found somebody from your past and kind of got reacquainted? I wonder if that leads to anything a lot of the time. I'll bet sometimes it does. Don't you hear about people who are like, oh, I found somebody on Facebook and we started talking and now we're married. Wow. All right. So that's the end of that story. Um, Is there a lesson to be learned out of that? Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe that heartbreak gets better as soon as you realize it really is over. Ooh, that's profound. Ooh, there's the lesson right there. Heartbreak gets better. As soon as you realize it really is over, do you think that's true? Do you think that one of the reasons we have trouble recovering from heartbreak is because there's still a part of us that wants it to come back, that wants us to rekindle everything, that wants us to, that wants that other person, I'll bet that's really true, that really wants that other person to change their mind and call you and say, I'm sorry, I love you. Heartbreak gets better the moment you realize that it's over. Shit, somebody write that down. I think we came across something today, didn't we? Okay, I'm going to read something else here. This is really interesting. Um, I got an email from somebody, uh, and I'm going to find it here in a second because I really thought it was good. Um, Here it is. It's from Ashley. I'm not sure if Ashley listens to the podcast, but I thought there was something in here. Remember, this is something that I think that, that, you know, she says she learned something from that she heard on our show. 
I will give this a, a little preview by saying it's not my advice. I did not come up with this, but I want to share it with you because it was so powerful in Angie's life that, or, or Ashley's life, sorry, that she actually wrote an email about it. She says, Dave, I wanted to take a moment and thank you for changing my life. To make a very long, complicated story short, I grew up in a close-knit, loving family. It was the four of us against the world. It all changed 12 years ago. I was 20 years old when my mom passed away from a nine-month battle with a very aggressive form of cancer. While this seems it could have been the end of a sad story, it was unfortunately just the beginning. My father started dating a married woman two weeks after her passing and moved her into our family home on Christmas Eve just four months after our mom died. Two months later, he kicked me out, and it only continued to get worse. He tormented me, turned on all our family, turned on her family friends against us, and honestly tried every avenue possible to ruin my life for the next four and a half years. I was so depressed, lonely, angry, and hurt that even the sight or mention of him would cause my heart to race, my throat to tighten, and leave me shaking for hours. Can you imagine just thinking of someone would make you feel that awful? Can you imagine being rejected and shunned by someone who had loved you and supported you and wanted you around just shortly before? You might be asking at this point, why didn't you just move away from our small town? And I wish it would have been that simple. Despite me attending college out of state, my boyfriend and I ended up moving into our house in our small hometown to ensure my younger sister could live with us and finish high school and eventually get into college herself. While I will never regret this decision, it definitely made it easier for him to continue to target us. I felt so help hopeless. Five years ago, you, Dave, pulled me out of that very dark stage of my life. I was driving to work, and while I don't remember the topic of the morning, Dave said, anger only destroys the vessel that carries it. And it shook me to my core. I pulled over on the side of the road, and I just kept repeating it over and over out loud to my empty car. Finally, after some time, I was able to regain my composure, and I was able to finish my drive to work. However, the morning show on that day started me on my journey. Since that day, my dad became just a stranger I'd see in town before I'd heard he ended up moving out of state. I got married to the man who was my rock during those dark times, and we are now celebrating six years of marriage and 17 years of being together. Yes, that's over half my life. We have two wonder, We have a wonderful two-year-old and another on the way. My sister not only graduated high school, but also college. Can I just say, wow, how brave it was and how awesome it was for her to sacrifice being around her dad just to support her sister? Wow. We all like to think we'd do something like that. We probably would, but she did it. She goes on to say, More importantly, I found happiness and peace again when for the longest time it seemed like that would never be possible. Thank you so much for that gift, Dave. I owe you way more than this thank you email, but hopefully this can be stored away as a memento and a reason why all your hard work as a DJ mattered. Ashley. Wow, Ashley, um, I'm so glad those words had such a profound effect on you. I really am. Um, they're not my words. I heard that years ago from somebody who was angry about something, and I can't remember, but it was back in Phoenix 30 years ago when I lived in Phoenix. And they were angry about something, and somehow that phrase came up, anger only destroys the vessel that carries it. And I think that's really true. Uh, if we're angry at our dad 
or our boss or our coworker or our ex from years ago or our ex-friend or our neighbor or some asshole who uh, you know, bullied us on Facebook or somebody who bullied us back in middle school. If we carry that anger, it doesn't hurt them. They don't care. So it only destroys you. And while it might not really destroy you, it does destroy a little bit of your peace of mind, your happiness. So, hey, listen, it's not my, there's not my words. Those are not my words. But I think they're really wise. And Ashley, I'm going to tell you, I'm so glad you were listening that day. I think you would have been okay no matter what, but I am so glad you were listening that day. And what a horrible thing to go through. I can't imagine. I, you know, whenever I hear anybody talk about how their parents were rotten or they don't like their mom or their dad is jealous of them or whatever, I don't get it. I don't understand. I always say to those people, I say, I feel so bad for you because my mom and dad, they weren't perfect, but they were pretty fucking great. They really were. And you know what? I look back on that and I go, they were pretty fucking great. They could have done a lot of things better. And I think when you're a kid, you look at other people's parents and go, I wish my mom and dad were cooler. I wish my mom and dad had more money. I wish my mom was smarter. I wish my dad was funnier. I wish my whatever. When you're a kid, but I think as you get older, you go, wow, they really did a lot. I hope you say, I hope my sincere hope is that you say that about your parents and that you think good things about your parents. But I know that's not always the way it is. Uh, Heather writes in to Dave Ryan at kwb.com. She says, you brought up Montana at the end of your podcast. I'm going to share this with you. I'm from Scobie, Montana, which is a small town in Northeast Montana. And let me tell you about Northeast Montana. There's nothing out there. It is North Dakota all over again. It's North Dakota West. I love it out there. It's beautiful to me. But when people think of Montana, they think about like Glacier Mountain and they think about Big Sky and they think about Mo Bozeman and Missoula. Let me tell you, Eastern Montana is not like that. That's not the point. She says, I currently live in Fargo. Every summer, my fa family and I go to Fort Peck, which is, you can see it on a map. It's a giant reservoir um, on the Missouri River. I usually drive through Jordan, Montana to get there. And every time I think of you... This past week, the town of Jordan had to get evacuated because of a fire. Anyway, Jordan is where my family's from. Uh, when my grandpa immigrated, he moved to a farm outside of Jordan and raised six kids there. And then when they got older, they all moved into Jordan, Montana. Does this mean anything to you? No, not at all. I just thought it was really interesting because nobody ever brings up Jordan, Montana. All right, thank you, Heather, for the email. Uh, Renita has an interesting story. Renita says... Um, Quick response about the guys at the restaurant. Um, a couple of weeks ago, months ago, uh, Susan and I were at the Suburban in Excelsior having lunch, and there was four bros sitting next to us, 20, 22-year-old guys, and I sympathized with those guys because I was once a 22-year-old guy. But every word was, fuck you fucking dick, fuck you, oh, that's a bunch of shit, fuck you, you're an asshole, oh, suck my dick, fuck you. And it was like, wow, do you guys not have any kind of awareness that you're in a public place and not everybody wants to hear that? You know, occasional fuck once in a while. Um, I get it. But they were loud. They were obnoxious. But I was talking about on the podcast, would you say anything? And of course I didn't because that would have been embarrassing for me and I would have felt like stupid the rest of the meal. And they probably would have just, you know, I don't know. They would have felt embarrassed because they're human too. Anyway, my husband, she says, Renita, took myself and our three daughters out for an anniversary dinner at a fancy restaurant in downtown Chicago a few years ago. Pretty empty. It was early in the evening, except for one round table filled with a large group of adults having a good time. 
my act- my husband actually said something to the waiter, very kindly asking them if they could keep it down a bit. They were so loud we couldn't hear each other speak at our own table. If I remember correctly, the group apologized, and my husband and they even laughed a little bit before the waiter moved them to a private room. Win-win for all involved, zero issues, zero people upset, everyone was happy and understanding and willing to adjust. Not that it matters. But she adds an interesting element to the story, and I want to see how you feel about this. Her words. I will add that I am white, my husband is Mexican. One mixed daughter and two white daughters and the large group of people at the other table were all African-American and not a single person tried to make it about race. Just an observation since times have changed dramatically in the last few years. Talk to you later, Renita. Renita, that's really interesting. I would like to think that decent people of any race would go, oh God, shit guys, we were too loud. Let's tone it down a little bit. But let's, let's all admit that assholes of any race might have said something like, you got a fucking problem, why don't you fucking move? It could have been a table full of white guys. It could have been the table full of white guys that were next to us at the um, Suburban a couple of weeks ago. And I like to believe that most people are good. If I see a black guy, a white guy, a, you know, a, a whoever out on the street, my first assumption is they were good. Here's what I visualize. This is so corny, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I do magic. And I love doing magic because even the coolest motherfucker of all time, if you show them a magic trick, they become a kid. They laugh. They're no longer badass. They're like, wait a second, what? The coolest badass of all time, whether they're black, whether they're white, whether they're a big biker who I've shown biker's magic tricks that look like they would rip your head off, and you show them a magic trick and they, all be, they become a kid again. And they're like, wait, wait, what? Oh, what the? How, how did you do that? And it's the coolest thing because something becomes magical to them. So whenever I see somebody, even if they look like, whoa, that guy looks kind of rough, I try to picture what they would be like if I showed them, (laughs) it sounds so corny, a magic trick. Because I know how they would act. They wouldn't say, get that stupid fucking thing out of my face, you fuck. Well, they might, you never know. But they'd probably, instead, they'd probably be like, whoa, what the, okay, how did you do that? And that's why I love it. Renita, thanks for your email. I got one more story, um, and I'm trying to think if we have time. Let me check my time here because I might have to save it for next week. One second. Now we got time for a quick one. I'm trying to figure out which one to tell because I've got a few of them. Okay, so let me do it this way. Um, I used to work in Columbus, Ohio, and there is something you can get out of the story. Sometimes I tell these stories, and I hope you understand that I'm telling them because I hope there's something you can get out of them. And I don't have a million stories. Sometimes I run out of stories. I do have a million stories. But if I run out, send me your story to Dave Ryan at KDWB.com. Years ago, Columbus, Ohio, working for a radio station out there. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I did 95% of the work. The people that I worked with were sometimes supportive, sometimes not so supportive. But I did 95% of the work. I just did. I loved doing it, and I was good at it, and I would write parody songs But when I would write a parody song, I wouldn't be the only one who would sing it. Why? Because I wanted the other people on the show to have a buy-in, to have some investment in it. Let's imagine that I wrote a song called Coronavirus Sucks. And I brought it into work, and I sang it myself, and I made, made sure that everybody knew it was all about me. Trust me, there are a lot of radio people, that's exactly how they operate 
and it works out really well. They probably go on to become really big stars in a really big market somewhere. That wasn't the way I operated. I wanted everybody on the show to feel included so they'd have fun with it. So if I wrote a song, and I'm not going to give away too much. I don't want to embarrass anybody in this, in this situation. But if I wrote a song in Columbus, Ohio, I wrote the motherfucking whole song myself. I did. I wrote the whole song myself. Never got any help. Never got any help with the idea. Never got help with the lyrics. Never got help with anything except the recording. They would sing it, and then I would edit it. And then back then, there was no instrumental versions on YouTube. I had to literally take the song and chop it up on tape until I had something we could sing over. So I asked the people on the show, hey, be on this song with me. Yeah, cool, I'll be on that song with you. Thanks. And so they'd be on the song, and people would respond, and they'd go, man, the three of you did a great job on that song. And I would smile through my, like, you know, like that forced smile. i go, huh, thanks, knowing the other two didn't do anything except sing on it. And uh, it's the truth. And they would say, man, you guys did such a great song. That song you did is so funny. That song you did is hysterical. That song you guys did, you guys, you guys, you guys. And I was okay with it because it made it more fun to play. Hey, do you want to play our new song? Instead of, hey, do you want to play my new song? Because then if I did, they'd probably look at each other, kind of roll their eyes, and they'd be like, yeah, fucker, go ahead and play your fucking song. But instead it was like, hey, you want to play my song? Or you want to play our song? Which they wanted to do. So it comes back around that (laughs) I saw it on Twitter not too long ago, that one of the people that was on that show, and this is no disrespect to her at all, it's just the truth. Um, uh, she was she does TV now, and somebody had dug up an old radio show of us from way long ago. I mean, I was in my early, mid-20s. And, and she was explaining the footage of this radio show. She said, yeah. We were doing a song that we wrote, or we were doing a song of ours, and blah, blah, blah. And I remember, this was only a couple of weeks ago, and I looked at it and I thought, a song of ours. That song really was my song, because I wrote all the lyrics and came up with the idea, but I made it our song. What can you take away from this? Number one, I would say there's two ways you can go. Number one, if you did something Fucking take credit for it. Don't let somebody else take credit for it. I will tell you this one. As a creative person, people try to take credit for my ideas all the time. All the time. They literally forget that they didn't come up with it. Number two, people will look at a creative person and they'll say, well, that was easy. Oh, anybody could come up with that. I remember Steve one time when he first started with the show, I was writing a bunch of jokes and rattling them off, and me and Lena and Steve were laughing, and Steve's like, those jokes write themselves. And I said, no, they don't. They don't write themselves. So creative people or anybody who's good at what they do, you're good at something you do. What are you good at that you make look easy? So people will try to take credit for it. People try to downplay what you came up with as not very hard to come up with. But here's the thing. Somewhere along the line, if you want your team to be excited about a project, if you want your team to feel like it was partly their idea, let them think that. You know what? It's not the end of the world. Somewhere, somewhere, in the, somebody somewhere in your department or in your management or in the cosmos somewhere knows you came up with that shit. And I hope you do. 
I hope you come up with stuff. I hope you get credit for it. I hope you reap the rewards from it. But I also hope that you can share part of it with your team or with your family or with your partner, whatever, so they feel like they're buying, they're, they can buy in on it. Does that make sense? Hey, I'd love to hear your comments. We're going to wrap things up. Uh, I'm smoking ribs right now and I need to go check on the temperature because it's got to be right in that smoke zone from like 250 to 260 or whatever it is. Anyway, have a great week. Comments always welcome to Dave Ryan at kdwb.com. And uh, also, the book is still available. I checked on Amazon this morning and it said it's still available. As a matter of fact, you order it today, you can get it on Amazon Prime by, rent by Wednesday. Lucky. And of course, the Kindle version is always available as well. Comments again. Dave Ryan at kdwb.com. I love your comments. They're, they are such a help in putting together this podcast. All right, have a great week, and I will talk to you soon on Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything.